can't get enough of the podcast? Lucky for you, our video IQ platform on adorebeauty.com.au houses thousands of articles on skincare, makeup, hair care, and more. Plus, you can find a heap of video tutorials, ingredient spotlights, and brand breakdowns on our YouTube channel. Just click on Beauty IQ in the menu bar of the website or app or search Adore Beauty on YouTube for more beauty content. Welcome everybody to Beauty IQ, the podcast. I'm your host, Joanna Fleming. And I am your co-host, Hannah First. So I have a request to intro this episode. Oh, well, I did want to say to you that I went on a date with a doctor, so we might have a doctor regular. Oh, but I already got one. <laughs> she already got one, so my doctor now yeah. will no longer be relevant. Oh, look, if he wants to come on as a guest, <laughs> is he going on your dating podcast? No, 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 no. I don't think so. He actually told me a really funny story that he was on a date with a girl that was wearing red lipstick and I was like, go, go girl for wearing red lipstick on a first date. And she had red lipstick on her teeth the entire date and he didn't say anything. Because she would have gone home and seen that and been like, oh my God. Please, any men listening, if a girl has lipstick on her teeth, just tell her. Or anything in her teeth, just tell her. Can you you imagine going through a whole date and like not saying something that there was red lipstick on someone's teeth? Yeah, I can't imagine doing that because I'd probably like, I'd struggle to tell someone, but I just, I'd want to know if it was me personally. I would want to know. If you're dating either of us, please tell us if we have (laughs) stuff on our face. Now, aside from that, I had requested that we call out to... Your, the wish ads that you have been posting on your Instagram. Yes. Okay. So only a small portion of people will know about this because they, they're the people that will follow me on Instagram. But I have this segment that I do that is my most popular segment on my personal Instagram, <laughs> which is, um, I don't know if everybody listening will know what this is, but there's this website called Wish and they sell some of the strangest stuff you could possibly find on the internet. Oh, my God, seriously. Like genuinely the ads that come up in my Facebook are not related to any algorithm of like my Google searches or anything, I swear, because I get some weird come up in my in my Wish ads. But I started to share them and people just love it. And it's like I'm now getting submissions from people being like, look at this weird thing that came up in my Wish today. I'm having a look at your She's um, Joe's got her highlights. It's in my highlights, yep. And so I loved the one where you said, oh, a mouldy piece of banana bread. What the <laughs> hell? Eleven, <laughs> $11 for that mouldy piece yes. of something. It's just bizarre. You just never know what you're going to get. Like last week's was... What did we have last week? You had like a, there's this really weird contraption to remove ingrown oh, yes. toenails. Yes. And then there was last week there was this balloon that looked like some way of cleaning out your like your bum or something. I don't know what it was, but in the, the diagram there was just <gasps> It didn't depict actual human anatomy, so I don't know. Oh, I'm just I'm going through them now. There's the like <laughs> missions for the cat. Yep. Yep. There's just, it honestly goes on and on. It, it, oh, the fake poo? <laughs> you don't know how many fake poos I've had. I Okay, so I then got served a an ad from Farfetch, which is an online, it's kind of like a net-a-porter, and it looked like a penis bag. Like I don't know how else to describe it. <laughs> like a penis holder like a pe- <laughs> but made of like mesh you know material. mesh, like those mesh water bottle holders? Yeah. Well, this was like that, except it was for it looked like it was for a penis, but it's actually just a designer yeah. handbag. And I thought it was a yeah. I thought it was a wish ad. 
Anyway, guys, get on. It's actually a designer handbag. It was, de- it was actually a designer handbag. <gasps> Oh, wow. Anyway, we've completely lost it in isolation. Totally. (laughs) Completely. All right, Hannah, what's on today's episode? On today's episode, we are talking about cold sores and we've actually got our new resident GP, Dr. Lucinda. Do you know how to say her name? Radishal. Thank you. Um, (laughs) And then we're speaking to Dr. Natasha Cook, who's a dermatologist, about uh, eye treatments and of course, the product we didn't know we needed. And mine is genuinely, there's never a product that you didn't know you needed. Like, this is it. <laughs> this is it. Today's cringy combo. This was actually a listener request. And I thought it was a really good topic because I didn't really know that much about it. But today's topic is cold sores. And we have found our new resident GP, Dr. Lucinda. You can find her on Instagram at Today with Dr. Lucia. She is a GP from the UK, but she's actually living in Sydney now. And what I love about her Instagram is that she talks about what the experience is like being a GP in Australia. So for any other GPs that want to come from abroad to Australia and she just discusses all different kinds of things on her Instagram. So she messaged us and I was like, yes, I love her. We'll have her. So today she has sent us through some pretty comprehensive notes on cold sores. Okay. Well, why don't we start with what is a cold sore? Okay. So Dr. Lucinda explained, obviously most of us have seen a cold sore before, but they're small, painful blisters and they commonly appear on the lips and the mouth. So you might feel an initial tingling sensation and then a red spot will pop up and then a blister and then that forms like an ulcer and it crusts over. So that process generally takes about 10 days she said. It's not actually caused by a cold most of the time. I mean, the name kind of suggests that it is, but it's sometimes triggered um, when you are unwell, but it's also known as fever blisters or herpes simplex labialis, which labialis is just a Latin word for lips. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard of like your nasolabial folds, kind of like the same thing, those lines that are I always thought that was just a really bad word for that area. Well, a labia is your vagina lips. Yeah. Oh, so does it mean So that makes sense, doesn't it? Oh, okay. That does make (laughs) sense. Okay. Wow. And speaking of vaginas, you might have heard cold sores be related to the term herpes, which we would commonly associate with like an STI, right? So they're caused by the herpes simplex virus, but there's a type 1 and a type 2. So the type that causes cold sores is the type 1, and then the one that you most commonly get in your genital region is type 2. So they are a bit different. What's the – because I know herpes zoster is actually shingles, which is – What? So herpes zoster – Yeah, it's it's shingles. Do you know what shingles is? Yeah. Yeah, so herpes zoster is then shingles, which is from the chicken pox virus. We've got to do one on shingles. Yeah. Yeah, we've got to do one on – and chicken pox, actually. It's caused by the reactivation of the chicken pox virus. So – Oh. Yeah. Look at you, Dr. Hannah. (laughs) Where's she been this whole time? I was on a date with a doctor on the weekend, so I'm feeling (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> feeling very knowledgeable very I was like really bringing out all my like knowledge on like because I've been reading about the COVID vaccine yeah and he was like I think he said something like I said oh yeah the AstraZeneca one and he's like oh there's another one and, and then he said oh, the one from um, Oxford and I said um that's the same one and he's like oh yeah you're right oh. and I was like yep 
Oh, oh wow. You schooled a doctor. Schooled a doctor. That is bold. <laughs> I did say I watched a lot of Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, well, you did. You actually, and that's paying off for yeah, you. Yeah, it's paying obviously. off. Obviously. Yeah. So is it a misconception that you can transmit it through like sipping on a glass that someone else has sipped on? Dr. Lucinda said that it can be spread through kissing and also indirect contact, like sharing towels and makeup and other yep. things in yep. the bathroom. Yep. But you have to be infected by the virus at some point in your life. So that mm-hmm. often happens in childhood. And then once you get the virus, it travels to a group of nerve cells under our skin and then it remains inactive until it's triggered and then that's when you would experience a cold sore. Well, what's the best way to treat a cold sore if you feel one coming up? So she said as soon as you start noticing one coming up, even when it's tingling, you can start using an antiviral cream, which you can buy over the counter at a chemist. That can help to reduce the duration of the cold sore, but it can also help it heal sooner. Some people require oral antivirals, but that's only if they don't respond to creams. She said a lot of patients ask her about home remedies, but she said that they won't um, reduce the duration of a cold sore. And sometimes, in some cases, it can actually make it worse. So best to stick to the -the over-the-counter stuff at the chemist, in her opinion. So what about in terms of prevention? Is there, are there ways that you can avoid cold sores if you're prone to getting them? Yeah. So I actually have heard that when you get really stressed, cold sores can pop up. And I've heard of people getting them like on their wedding day because they've been really stressed about their wedding, which that would possibly be the worst time in your life to get Mm. a cold sore. That would be so annoying. So if you're prone to getting cold sores, Dr. Lucinda said there are a couple of triggers to be aware of, and that can include um, being stressed and really exhausted. So trying Mm. to be mindful of the way you're feeling and, and getting control of that. But also surgeries can put you at risk of getting cold sores, dental procedures, and also cosmetic procedures like lip fillers. So it's really important and you might have, if you've had lip fillers before seen on your form, that there's an option to tick whether you get cold sores or not. So it's always best to make your practitioner aware that you are prone to them. And also cold weather can create chapped lips and then that can be a trigger as well and excessive sun exposure, which we know, Hannah, is a no-no anyway. So it's important to use SPF. Although I did tell you today to go outside in the sun. You did. But I said wear a yeah. wide brim hat. Didn't you I? did. <laughs> you, you, you were like, yeah, I've been sitting by the window in my wide brim hat. You know that uh, brainstorm we had the other day and I had my video off? That's because yeah. I was wearing a wide brim hat in the sun. <laughs> Why didn't you just show us? That would have been funny. <laughs> oh, I just felt embarrassed. I was like I, that people are going to be like, "Why are you wearing a wide brim hat on a Zoom call?" Because <laughs> <laughs> we're in isolation. Because we're in isolation, <laughs> and also like I'm sun smart. Yeah, exactly. Own it. Well, that was very interesting. I feel that yes. we should get Dr. Lucinda or Lucia. However, um, can you find out which she prefers? I think we should yes. get her on. Yes, definitely. So if you want to um, see more of what Dr. Lucinda's up to, you can check her out at today with Dr. Lucia. But I've just been stalking her. I can see she's got yeah. some IGTV videos. Can't wait yes, to watch. You might want to watch. Yeah, but we're definitely going to get her on to like have a proper chat but we've just started with her sending us over some pretty comprehensive notes that we've made our way through. But we've learned a lot, I think, along this journey, haven't we, Anna? Yeah, but I think that if, you, uh, if you're if you unsure, definitely head to your GP. This does not yes. substitute an appointment with your GP. Oui. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we've noticed, I guess, from just a couple of feedback that we've had that there's still a bit of a, I guess, stigma and a bit of judgment around cosmetic procedures. And I guess the the goal of this podcast and the reason that, that we talk about everything, we talk about everything from, you know, people that are into it and then people that aren't into it. And the whole reason is Adore Beauty is very much like a democracy in that way so yeah and giving you the option to make whatever decision totally and we give you all the information you decide what you want to do but like our goal is to provide like all the information and different sides to each treatment so if you're not into that kind of content around anti-aging treatments feel free to fast forward on to the product we didn't know we needed but I would recommend listening because this is a really good interview. Yeah. I really liked it. So I would listen. I would listen, <laughs> but um, please don't troll us after. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this has to have been probably our most requested episode topic, I think, and that is eye creams. So we've asked Dr. Natasha Cook from Darlinghurst Dermatology to join us today. Welcome, Dr. Natasha. Thank you for having me. No, it's our pleasure. Now, you actually have your own line of skincare, so I thought you'd be best qualified to discuss this topic because you know a little bit more about ingredients than probably the, you know, the everyday dermatologist. So, can you tell us are eye creams or treatments or gels are they really necessary and how do they differ from a regular serum or moisturizer that we'd use on our face? Okay, so the way I see eye creams is they're often a totally unnecessary product to have in your beauty regime. And I've sort of, after being pretty au fait with reading ingredients lists for, you know, the last couple of decades, when you can break all that down, they can often end up just being very expensive products in a jar that's a quarter of the size of a good moisturizer, but four times the price. And I think a lot of the motivation of the industry out there is it's a really difficult area to treat. It's one of the first signs of ageing that appear on people and it's a vulnerability in the population of, you know, women but also men in the beauty industry um, because it makes them look tired, it makes them look old and so the whole essence, if I could whack something on there, it's rid of these things that absolutely annoy me, I would love that. And so people are vulnerable and therefore motivated to spend a lot of money and so it's a big componentry of the market that I think sometimes the consumer can really readily get taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a very interesting point of view. Does that mean? And I have, and we've spoken to a dermal therapist about this. Can you use a regular serum under your eye? Like, is that a big no no? Totally. Depending on, I mean, we as a derm, yes, you can. But obviously, you may not jump, dump, dive into the deep end of a high concentrate and trader, you know, retinoic acid prescription cream, or potentially. A, p- a high percentage of a retinol straight away because it may cause some irritation, but it can create irritation anywhere on the face. And the thing about the tissue anatomically around the eyelid skin is it's about half the thickness of the skin on the rest of your face. So therefore, if it does get irritated, there's a higher degree of sensitivity. And then we also know that chronic irritation can lead to discoloration and actually make the appearance of things like dark circles, eye bags, whatever, look worse. But the answer to that is yes, but you, you want to make sure that the ingredients there aren't going to create irritation. If they don't, really, the serums you're using on your face can be used pretty much anywhere else. That has cleared up a lot of questions in my right. head. 
Fire away. That's what we're here for. I'm always avoiding the eye area and I'm like, well, do I need to be doing this? But I have though, if I take the retinol too far, I do feel that irritation sometimes and you can it, it can sting. Totally. And then you can do things like if you are putting a more of an active one, make sure you use it with the moisturiser. So the moisturiser will reduce the amount of inflammation irritation and help support the barrier in that area. So there are ways, of, and you might then titrate it into your system. If you're a little bit concerned, maybe only using it a couple of nights a week and then gradually building up depending on tolerance and sort of let the skin and your body tell you whether that's something you can use or not. Yeah, so I, I, I'm not a massive fan of, of eye creams. I don't make one for that reason. I haven't found anything that I think specifically rectivised. I think there are some things that can temporarily make the appearance of the surface look better, reduce the inflammation. But, you know, often can negate needing an eye cream-specific product entirely because a lot of the ingredients really are quite the same as a very good moisturising product. And you just touched on before that eyes were the first place we start to notice signs of ageing. Can you explain why that is? Okay, so... If you think of the eyelid skin, like I like the analogy, it's like tissue paper. And then the skin on the rest of the face is more like a very fine piece of cardboard. Okay. So there is a difference anatomically in how thick the skin is. So if you are trying to bend a piece of cardboard a couple of times, it doesn't really put much of an indentation or a line that's pretty resilient. But if you crease a a piece of tissue paper, it readily imprints with a permanent indentation. So that skin under the eye with a period of time of repetitive smiling, increasing, using, and because it's thinner, starts to gainfully look older and show the signs of ageing more readily than elsewhere in the face. Then on top of that, you've got the natural volume loss that happens with ageing, particularly fat loss. There's not a lot of fat under eyelid skin, so as that reabsorbs with ageing, then the underlying muscle and the bony structures starts to become more transparent through the skin. So you get that appearance of that sort of dark circles and shadowing, which gets exacerbated by the ageing process. So we do need to be careful with it. So things like rubbing it or irritating it will mean, of course, it's thinner and finer. It is more predisposed to becoming inflamed. And we know inflammation creates ageing damage. And we also know because it's so fine, it's going to end up, you know, fundamentally creasing better. So we want to do little things in the early decades of life to try and prevent and preserve the quality of this tissue because it is more susceptible because of that anatomy than other areas of the face. I really like that analogy. I was just thinking when you said tissue paper, cardboard. So I was trying to think, Joe, what would the skin on my what would the skin on my feet be? Like what? Like if, if your face is cardboard, what's stone? <laughs> Oh, I was like, sometimes I feel the bottom of my feet and I'm like, wow, like the skin, it doesn't feel like skin anymore. (laughs) The human body is just amazing. Now, a question that I get a lot on Instagram, like probably once a week at least, is what age should we start incorporating an eye product into our skincare routine? Now, I know you've mentioned that you're not a big fan of them, but if there's anyone out there that's really wanting to use an eye cream, at what age do you recommend they start using something that's maybe hydrating or that's just going to keep the eye from showing those first signs of aging? Well, I certainly think habits that we do in our daily life are more important than specific eye cream is prevention. So I'm very much all about early intervention is prevention. So if we can preserve ourselves as far as, you know, body mass, regular exercising, good skin quality and using preventative measures, which really is something that you've got to start thinking about from when you're super young in your teens, sun protection, sunglasses, not rubbing the area, staying away from irritants. So the whole attitude towards this, I think, is something that we should be thinking about when we're teenagers, because our sun protection measures should be thinking about that, because that's 
one of the biggest external elements that can really damage this tissue and create aging of the area. Then within that comes having a great routine. You know, there's a few things that I, I say with cleansing once or twice daily, but using things, including around the eye area that aren't full of surfactants, they're a substance that makes things foam. So even if something says soap-free and it foams, it's the equivalent of soap because soap and surfactants are the same thing. But because they're slightly different chemically, a lot of, a lot of companies can get away with saying soap-free when really if it's foaming, it really is soap. So you want to stay away from foaming things around the eyes. You want to use gentle cleansing. You want to be really delicate when you pat that area so you're not dragging on the skin, which could then lead to irritation, inflammation, discoloration, appearance of shadowing and thinning of that skin increasing. And then, you know, I think moisturizing habits are really important early on. Now, whether a person decides that they feel, you know, from a psychological point of view, more comfortable in using a, an eye-specific product versus just a really beautiful, good quality moisturizer that may double up as an eye cream or night cream and extra hydrating cream. I, I think the earlier you start, the better. And, you know, and as I said, it's much easier to prevent aging and damage than is to rectify it. So that to me is a lifelong journey, you know, and I think good education, good habits early on, probably, you know, 10 years onwards is the way to go. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you on that one. (laughs) Start as young as possible, (laughs) especially on the sunscreen. I cannot be an advocate enough of just using good stuff that works on your skin and also investing in preventing yourself from the environment. And we know a lot more information about that now that it is beyond sunscreen and sun protection and certain Active ingredients do work really well as topical anti-inflammatories and antioxidants and looking those in your products, you know, like your vitamin Cs, your niacinamide B3. I'm a real advocate of it. A lot of fantastic pioneering Australian research, you know, discovered that beyond the fact that it prevents from UV and environmental damage, it also protects your immune system from depletion from the sun rays. It stops pigment, it reduces sensitivity, and it rebuilds your barrier function. So it's just something that I think people should be more knowledge up about and start using it early. And also helps acne. So if you are a young person that's worried about aging, that kind of ingredient will have a multitasking effect um, to be using in your skincare. Yeah, we're huge fans of niacinamide here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you should supplement it up, um, 1,000 milligrams a day. The, 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 the level of scientific research to show that it actually slows down cellular aging, it reboots the energy system of the, of the cell, which is called the mitochondria, which deteriorates. It's a potent anti-inflammatory antioxidant. They did a multi-international study showing that oral niacinamide in 1,000 milligrams a day reduces your body, the skin cancer rate by over 40%. I mean, that's pretty powerful. So Whoa. I was pretty much sold on that. I've been taking it a number of years now because I guess the good thing in being a dermatologist and a medical specialist is we gainfully get information before things become mainstream. Yeah. So, yeah, there's many good reasons to be a fan of niacinamide, B3, many. Oh, I'm going to have to go and look for a vitamin so B3. Yeah, I am definitely looking that up. In terms of um, we touched briefly on dark circles, can you explain some of the reasons why we get dark circles and why they're hard to resolve with a topical product? Yes, I will. And it all comes down to the cause. So when you think of something as a medical specialist, you always think, okay, I see the problem. What's the underlying cause? Because you want to fix the problem. You want to fix the underlying contribution factors plus what's structurally going on. And this is why the topical agents are really limited in this area of medicine. So I like to break it down and thinking is you can have structural issues relating to the underlying bone and fat development. And then you've got skin changes that can happen. 
So when we think of structural underlying problems that will give that, that appearance of hollowness and shadowing, they've got the genetic component. So the way people are born and the way their skeleton forms, I mean, they can be, their bone can be hollow under that eyelid area, which means their eyelid area scoops in and they look shadowed and hollow, right? And those kind of people are going to present with dark circles, inverted commas, in their 20s, you know, and they might have had them even in their teens. And then you look at their parents and it's all genetic and it will obviously also get worse with ageing. And then you've got structural changes that are related to the aging process. And what we know about the aging process is we actually get osteoporosis of the face and we get accelerated osteoporosis in the face in some areas and we get preservation in others. For example, your outer cheekbone tends to stay in place and you don't lose much bone. So that's why, you you know, cheekbones, a lot of, you know, famous people who've got beautiful faces, they still maintain a very elegant chiseled cheekbone. But whereas under the eye area there where you get the shadows, you lose bone more rapidly and disproportionately. So then that contributes to the appearance of the dark shadow circle appearing. On top of that, we lose the overlying fat and then the skin gets thinner and that exacerbates as we get older. So there's our structure. We can have genetically kind of born that way. And so unfortunately, we're going to get dark circles and, and look hollow and look tired and older than we are potentially even in our 20s, and then most people then all get that kind of appearance and and we start to thin out there and look more shadowy and look more tired and then get the hollowing because we lose bone, we lose fat and our skin thins with the ageing process. Then we look at the skin changes and then the skin changes come down to things like colours. So we can develop pigmentation in that area, which is largely precipitated by one, racial predisposition, so a lot of darker skin types, more prone to developing clusters of pigment there, or the fact that we go out in the sun, we don't protect, and UV stimulates the pigmentation in there. So a cream to have the capacity to break pigment molecules down in that area is going to be really, really difficult. Then we start to get other colours like vessels and increase in vasculature. And the things that create increase in vessels, which then can give like a darker, shadowy appearance, is sunlight is a big one, and also chronic inflammation. So people who get allergies, um, reactions to sensitizing products, rubbing and probing the area over a period of time. That's why a lot of people who are atopic or eczema prone can get that discoloration, shadowy appearance in that zone. Um, So things that reduce inflammation are really important. So if you're thinking about you've got colors in the skin and the skin quality, and then you've got actually structural underlying loss of supportive tissue, which then gives you the dark circles. It's very hard to imagine that a topical ingredient could inadvertently remove (laughs) or grow bone in that area. However, topical products can do certain things that gainfully can help the appearance. They can hydrate the skin, they can reduce inflammation, and they can stabilize the tissue, and they can reduce wrinkled appearance skin that are as a result of dryness and dehydration. And then obviously having very, very well hydrated skin is really important because hydrated skin will always gainfully perform better and be healthier and function better than dry skin. So best topical product for this area in my book is concealers. Mm -hmm. They damn well do the job. They don't cause any problem. And, you know, because otherwise I do find if you you do have significant dark circling outside of the inflammatory or the dehydrated kind of cause, which, you know, your, your basic topical products will help you with that really you're looking then at treatments, you know, you're looking at treatments to actually address what is going on in the area. Is it in the skin? 
Is it loss of fat or is it in the bony structure? Does that kind of make sense to you guys? Yeah, totally. I think it's really important for people to have realistic expectations about what topical products can do and what's actually going on under the surface. And on that note, you mentioned fillers. Are there any other options to treat concerns like bags or loss of elasticity or droopy lids? Are there any professional treatments to treat those? There's amazing treatments, you know, like, okay, so we, we break it down. So if you've got like bags or significant sagging skin. So usually people in the upper eyelid, so we're going away from what we're talking about now is the dark circle and the lower. So you were talking about saggy skin. People either be saggers or hollowers. They they either get an appearance on the upper eyelid area where they kind of lose volume and they look very recessed or they get a saggy upper eyelid skin that hangs down. And so that's a surgical procedure. It works extremely well. There's low complications, a fantastic result that can last decades. If we've got protruding bags the best uh, treatment for that in the lower eyelid area is surgery it's called a lower blepharoplasty nowadays you actually can do it behind the eyelids you don't actually come in and cut the eyelid skin at all you pull the eyelid forward and you reposition the fat back into the orbit like where it sits around to protect the eyeball and they tighten up the membrane that gainfully normally supports the fat bag to sit back in and then sometimes you might pull out a laser to then do a light resurfacing or laser peeling treatment on the overlying skin to finish the result. And then that's the number one go-to. Then if you've just got, you don't have protruding bags coming forward under the eyelid, you've just got a little bit of hollowing because you've always been a bit of a hollower. Fillers can be helpful and fillers could be hyaluronic acid fillers or it could be your own fat put in the area. Now, I personally think your own fat is the best because it's a natural substance, integrates better, and long-term, there's probably less complications, but it's a more expensive procedure. It's less accessible and it's a bit more difficult to do. And then lasers can help. Like, so say you just look a bit dark and shadowy, and when you look at the skin, what we use is an instrument called a dermatoscope. Um, The dermatoscope magnifies it, you know, to 10 to 100 times up so we can literally see if you've got increased blood vessels in there we can literally see if you've got increased pigment molecules and what's going on if you treat the abnormality that's causing the skin discoloration and that's usually using lasers but again need to go to an expert with that and then if you've just got very crepey skin under there it's complex hence my thing prevention if you can look after the skin from as early as you can and for as long as you can that you don't end up needing too much of this always the best way to start and then when you start getting problems get a proper diagnosis of what's actually contributing to the appearance so then you can get the right modality whether that'll be surgical or a non-surgical modality to treat the underlying cause. Um, and in terms of specific ingredients we touched on a couple before but if you had to kind of choose the best ingredients for under eye concerns what would they be? Well I look at it from two ways. I look at one things that bind water and are hydrating and barrier repairing so there you there are things your humectants or your moisture binders and your barrier builders so you just want to look for really good moisturizing ingredients. I love old-fashioned things like glycerin more fancy ones are hydronic acid you know, hyaluronic acid takes the glory, but I have to say glycerin does all the hard work. Um, <laughs> and then things like shea butter, medical grade lanolin, cocoa glycerides, your silicones, like dimethicones are great for helping support and preserve barrier function as well. So you've got your moisture binders, your barrier builders, and then you want to look at reducing inflammation. So your antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, and one of my faves, obviously, is B3 niacinamide because also is extraordinarily, has low irritancy capacity. So you are gainfully not going to be able to sensitize. 
then my next one would probably be looking at vitamin C. Yes, another one of our favorite ingredients, the old vitamin C. I think we are going to touch on that separately in another episode because it deserves its own spotlight, I think. <laughs> yeah, though that's why we put B3 and the vitamin C in the one serum just to make, you know, cut down on clutter, cut down on cost. They're both biologically compatible and you're getting more bang for your buck and they work nicely together. So, yeah, they're two of our favorites as well. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Natasha Cook from Darlinghurst Dermatology for joining us today. God, it's refreshing to hear a different opinion on something. I know, it is. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you very much for having me. It's been a delight being your company. Oh, that's really just refreshing to hear that Dr. Natasha Cook doesn't believe in eye creams because usually we just hear all one-sided opinions. Yeah, and I think it's good to hear a different opinion. But also I have yeah. I've been wondering for two years, like yeah. can <laughs> I use this serum under my eye? And I just love that like that was just an easy, quick yes. But I will yeah, say, yeah. and I actually like this is just another opinion, my professional opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I sometimes find that the serums that I'm using because they're so active can be really irritating yeah. under the eyes. Same. Yeah, that's been my experience as well. I have been using an eye cream. I've actually been using the, what's it called? They look like uni- unicorn tears. Opticrystal. 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 So I've been using the Murad one and I have been, I'm really big on this in telling people that a topical product will not treat all your under eye concerns. And I've been saying that for years, but I've really noticed a difference from the Murad one. So I'm like, I don't know what is in that, but it's doing something to my dark circles. And I don't know what it is, but it's great. So I'm going to stick to that. I just like having an eye cream. Same. But as Dr. Natasha said, like just having a consistent routine is really important and keeping hydrated. So as long as you're keeping that area hydrated, you're good. All right, product we didn't know we needed. I think we've both got interesting ones today, Hannah, but I'd like to probably hear yours first. So it hasn't launched yet on the website, but it is launching on the 2nd of August at Adore Beauty if you're interested in checking it out then. It is literally, this is going to be controversial, I reckon. I reckon I'm going to get some haters on this product. But yeah, you might on this one. Please, please don't. Please, please don't. Yes. <laughs> My mental health is really at stake. Please don't. So Lady Sweet is a new brand on a door. It's an intimate skincare brand, intimate being the key word. So it is the rejuvenating botanical oil for intimate skin. Can I just say something before you talk about this? I'm so surprised you didn't pick the other product in this range. Yeah, but that's because I like Femme Fresh. Sorry. I I, I can't help that I like Femme Fresh and I'm I'm very committed to Femme Fresh. And by the way, we don't sell Femme Fresh yeah. on a door. So <laughs> you can get it at Chemist Warehouse, though. Yeah, Chemist Warehouse, you can get it at the supermarket. <laughs> I believe Priceline have it as well. <laughs> Chemist Warehouse get a lot out of me. Milky Ford. They, like, seriously, Aldi and Chemist Warehouse. I don't know how you don't have a deal with Femme Fresh yet. I actually can't believe Aldi haven't contacted me. So if you work yeah, at if same. you work at Aldi or know someone that works at Aldi, can you explain to me why they haven't contacted me to yeah. be the face of their panty liners? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So back onto the glow oil. It's a glow below oil. Mm. So it's an intimate skin oil. It's rich in plant-based essential fatty acids. It has bacteria fighting properties. So look, I think what this is really good for is that if you've ever waxed your lady parts, 
<laughs> at home, yes. you know, when you get all the wax build up on oh, your like, yeah. So this oil, you know how like they they like put it after waxing, they use like an oil. So this oil is like yeah. safe to use on the skin below. So it's like moisturizing yeah. and it prevents ingrown hairs. If you get laser hair removal, you'll be shaving that area. So if you've got like kind of that irritation or you're mm-hmm. susceptible to ingrown hairs, this oil is safe to use on your vagina. It's on like your out the outside of your vagina. Though, yeah, no, no, no. Don't use on the inside. You can use a yeah. personal lubricant for that. Um, yes. <laughs> Good terminology, Hannah. Well I'm done. using all the right words. You really are. So, but what I really like about it, and this is this is what's so funny, is this sits. I have like a little Kmart tray. You know the like. Yeah. Um, got one of those round kind of marble things what I do is I like present my best looking beauty products on my sink in my bathroom um, for mm-hmm. when I have guests over and so there's like a per- like a fragrance and then there's like just some yeah. nice bottles and jars and whatnot and of course my glow oil for your vagina is on there too. Oh, so if they go to the bathroom and they just want to put a bit of yep, yep. something something on, they <laughs> yep, can. Yep, it's there yeah, on it's display. It's really nice of you. Yep, it's there on display for whoever um, cool. wants to use it. I've actually got one of those, but I haven't used it yet. So Well, let me let us know how you go. I'm going to be using the IPL machine because, of course, yep. my, my appointment got cancelled again. Yes. So what is your product, Joe? So my product is... Also a new brand that I'd been using for quite a few weeks before we launched it, but it's brand new. So this brand is called Mr. Bright and it ties in nicely to our recent episode with the dentist, Dr. Madeline. So I've been using these teeth whitening strips from Mr. Bright and they are really good. Like I have used teeth whitening strips before and not seen much of a result, but I have noticed a significant result from using these. Like you meant to use them, I think 14 days in a row. Mm -hmm. I haven't been that strict with it. I'm like, oh, I did it three days ago. I'm just going to do it again because I forget to do it. But they're hydrogen peroxide free. So they are a little bit gentler on the tooth apparently. And they've got um, glycerin and sodium bicarbonate in there. So that helps to whiten the teeth. And then you've got things like cranberry and aloe vera and peppermint oil as well. So it tastes really fresh too. And yeah, it really does make a difference to the shade of white I'm noticing. So I'm going to keep using those. I've got another packet ready to go. Have you done it before and after? No, oh, I haven't. Joe, I should have. Seriously. I know. I should have it done together. it. They've also got those trays with the light that you put in. I haven't used that one yet because I was using a high smile one. So I'm just going to finish that first so that I'm not wasting product. And then I'll try the Mr. Bright one. But in their range, they've also got that. So if you want to try that instead, go for it. Mm. But as Madeline said, if you've got the trays that you've like actually had fitted to your teeth, you can still use them. Did you get a set as well? Yeah, I got the home teeth whitening kit. So they've got three syringes. I'm going to try the syringe, but I actually want to use the, I want to try this mold because it's got like a um, LED light. Yeah. If you listen to our episode about at home teeth whitening, you don't know where to start and you don't want to go to your dentist and you don't want to splurge on the teeth molds. And you don't want to buy it off Amazon. And you don't want to buy it off Amazon. (laughs) You can get them at a door beauty. (laughs) But yeah, I definitely noticed my teeth are wider. So if you're looking for something that actually works... I can attest to that. Now, just to outro, so we didn't actually talk about the fact that we're both 
back in lockdown, hence probably why I've requested that no one troll me for the next six weeks because um, I'm just a bit fragile at the moment. (laughs) And if you're living outside of Victoria, like please don't troll us right now. Yeah. If you live live in Victoria, I understand where you're coming from. We understand your frustration and your anger. (laughs) But what I do want to read you, I sent my mum a message last night at 11pm. Yeah. I just wanted to read it out to you because I feel this is like a really good insight into where I'm at right now. And I said, do you think I'm paranoid? I feel like I have a UTI now, but maybe because I was thinking about it and now I have to keep peeing, (laughs) question mark, question mark, question mark. She wrote back this morning, nine hours later, yes, paranoid. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you still text that to your mum. Last night, yesterday in the afternoon, we were talking about UTIs and I was like, oh, and I was like reliving that UTI I had in Cambodia. Oh, yes. And so then I started like in my head, I was like all night. You've given yourself a UTI. I've got a UTI. I've got a UTI. Why do I need to pee? What would you have a UTI from though, Hannah? Absolutely nothing. There's nothing. Exactly. Well, well, femme fresh, possibly. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, we can stop there now because the episode has come full circle. I'm done. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I'll see you next week, guys. We'll still be in lockdown. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. It helps other people to discover us. And also, we really want to know what you thought about this podcast. So if you can leave us a review, that would be much appreciated. Bye.